Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is a letter written to a young leader named Timothy, a disciple of Paul, who uh, has written him two letters. In fact, his second letter to Timothy was the last thing we have that Paul wrote in inspired scripture. And so here, 1 Timothy is exhorting this young leader in chapter 2, but I, I want to go to the context because chapter 2 begins with the word therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, you got to see what it's there for, right? Based on what I just said, now I say this. Therefore, I exhort, first of all. So this is a priority he's about to give. But let's look at the context. Go back to chapter 1, verse 18. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. So as a spiritual father, he's charging him. According to the prophecies, can we say encouragement? According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Everybody say victory. Victory. By these prophecies you can win at the war that you're in. Verse 19, having faith, who knows that in conflict you've got to have faith if you're going to win spiritually, and a good conscience. You got to walk what you talk, live in light of the truth. Having faith in a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Everybody say lose. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I'm not sure what they did, but these were some pretty bad guys sowing discord in the church. And so Paul just gave up. Let Satan at them, and maybe they'll get tired of working for their boss and want to come back to Jesus. All right. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, that's petitions, formal, formal prayer. It's like a prayer list, detailed prayers. First of all, that supplications, prayers, this is earnest praying, it's literally the word used for worship, prosukate, pros is to prostrate yourself, UK is to bless. So intense prayers, even on your face kind of prayers, intercessions, to intercede is to, to represent someone in prayer, to pray in their place. Jesus prayed in the place of those persecuting him when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. And giving of thanks, this is the word Eucharist, the word blessing, be made for all Men, can we say everybody? So based on what he just said, that to have a good warfare, you fight according to the prophecies made over you, having faith in a good conscience, which some, having rejected, have experienced shipwreck. Who knows shipwreck affects more people than just yourself? So it is especially true in leadership. If a leader falls, man, it's really bad because it impacts a lot of people. Sometimes it looks like dominoes falling. So Paul, based on that, says he exhorts them for supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for everybody. And then he goes on to leadership, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. So this is everybody in your life that's an authority, from your boss to your mayor to your governor to your president. Pray for them. Why? So they don't shipwreck, right? The result of them not shipwrecking, not being stupid, not doing stuff that messes with other people's lives and hurts them, 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. The word there for reverence literally means honesty, in all godliness and honesty. So we pray for everybody, especially for leaders, so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, in all honesty. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. That's what we're to do. God's delighted in it. So in your praying, be sure you're doing this. Many times in prayer, we have a laundry list of things we want, but this is what God wants. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. So we've got to pray for the salvation of everyone and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is that truth? Read on. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That is to be witnessed to at the right time. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. That's someone who's sent out to preach. I am speaking the truth. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So in summary, he's exhorting them because people can abandon faith and a good conscience. People can abandon the encouragement they've received to live by godly principles, godly values, to pursue godly goals and can shipwreck and affect a lot of people. Therefore, we are exhorted, first of all, this is a priority, to pray for everyone with supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks, be made for everybody. And we pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your word would speak to our hearts in such a way we leave here different Not a little bit different, but a whole lot different. More like you than ever before, in Jesus' name. Amen. Is anybody here from Illinois besides me and Gary? How about those Cubs? I went to high school in Bloomington Normal. Normal, the town with the strange headlines. You know, normal man shoots wife. Normal woman robs bank. They didn't think anything unusual about those kind of headlines. It was normal to them. (laughs) Normal was a place, a place to be rather than a state of being. Here's a church, Central Baptist Church, that captured the moment with this promotion for their church. FYI, if you made any promises during the bottom of the night, service starts at 1045. (laughs) Oh, God, if they win, I'll start going to church. I shared this with some pastors, and we started thinking, you know, what if we could capture the election like this? Did you make any promises to God last Tuesday? If so, start fulfilling them this Sunday at First Church. Someone said, well, how about this? Did you do any cussing last Tuesday? Come and repent at our church. We're in a series declaring one nation under God, which comes from our Pledge of Allegiance. We've talked about one nation under God starts with me. We've talked about one nation under God is built on strong families. 
And last Sunday, we spoke on One Nation Under God insists on integrity. You got to want it. Some election seasons, it may not look you're going to get it. You got to still want it. Still make it a priority. Do not back off of it. Make it part of your prayer. Because integrity is not a gift. It's a quest. To walk in integrity is if you realize you told a lie, you got to go back and correct it if you have any integrity. You let it stand, you got to... You gotta, um, Correct it. So in light of that, in my quest for integrity, I have to do something like that. Last Sunday, I spoke on this. One nation under God insists on integrity. And so I pointed out the lack of, the lack of integrity in the lives of both candidates. Now, I wanted to keep it clean but honest. So the one I chose for the Republican nominee dealt with his truthful hyperbole that he uses in promotion and his 900-foot-tall building Um, he's got other buildings that he does similar things, but there's a 900-foot-tall building that has 72 floors. And uh, it's listed. You can go online and see it today. It's listed with realtors as having 90 floors. And when questioned on this, he doesn't defend it. He admits it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of of, uh, the way we get away with it. There's two banks of elevators. The first bank goes up to floor number, you know, dozen or whatever for um, uh, commercial, and then the residential elevators start at a higher number than what they actually are. So I was lovingly confronted after service by a brother with information I did not know. And I said, uh, he said, did you know that a floor, that a story is actually a standard of measurement? So to, uh, to bring up Trump's lack of integrity, you need to use a better illustration than that one because that one won't fly. I said, I need to see proof of this because I've never heard that. Uh, we've got, this is a two-story building, and both floors are com- two completely different measurements. Is it a, actually a standard of measurement? He says, I think it is. I said, well, why didn't Trump use that as a defense? He says, I don't know, I don't know. Well, later on that day, we crossed paths. He says, I found it. He found some website that had a uh, standard of every measurement ima- imaginable. And so he entered 900 feet to see what it would say based on standard floors, how many floors a 900-foot-tall building would be. And he came up with the number 83. So we laughed. I said, hey, we met each other halfway. Hallelujah, hallelujah. (laughs) Today we're going to speak on one nation under God involves godly involvement. Now, pastor, why don't you just say one nation under God involves godly people? Well, there's some godly people that aren't involved. So this is a verb sermon. Godly involvement. Godly people getting involved, not just sitting on their blessed assurance and waiting on the rapture to come or having rapture drills when they get excited, but actually being involved in the nation in which they live. Legally involved. You know, if, if, if civil di- disobedience is required, then doing that too. But we have so many rights here that, that things are rarely, uh, would rarely go to that. Godly people getting involved is so important. Blood was shed for you to have the right to vote. And if you don't vote... Their blood was shed in vain for you. One nation under God involves godly involvement. My three points are, number one, godly involvement requires godly people. Duh. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If godly people aren't involved, then where's the godly influence? If we're not doing what we can then how are we salting anything? How are we making anything salted? 
Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Now, don't tune me out. Look at this again. When the righteous are in authority, understanding authority is totally, totally delegated, and only God has unlimited authority. So our authority is limited. And you do have authority. So this is about more than mayors and bosses and presidents and governors. This is about people, righteous people. When they are in authority, when they are exercising authority within the limits they have, there's a blessing that comes. Are you walking in the authority you have and exercising it? As a parent, are you establishing order in the lives of your kids? If you don't, let somebody else will do it. Eventually, somebody, you know, maybe the biggest man in their cell will get them in order. Exercise the authority you have as a citizen. You have the right to vote. Do it. Godly involvement requires honest people. If we're going to be involved, we've got to be accurate. Proverbs 12, 17, he who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. A faithful witness, 14.5, does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. If we're going to be involved in a godly manner, we cannot just repeat stuff we want to believe. I've, I've been hoodwinked myself by some of these false websites. You see those? One day I was horrified. It appeared to be a post from ABC News website. I clicked on it overnight the executive branch of our government had outlawed making it a crime for the Pledge of Allegiance to be said at our elementary schools. Horrified it got me until someone informed me that's a bogus website. So I went back to it later. How's this bogus? Well, everything I clicked on, info, contact us, more news, photos, it all went to the same thing. So I should have smelled the fish, but I didn't do it. It got me. So it is, if we're going to be accurate, godly, righteous people. We've got to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. May God never allow us to get by with stuff like that. May he disturb us. I saw someone on Facebook the other day post that same thing and said, I know this isn't true, but I just wanted to do it. That's not godly involvement. That's just mischievous childishness. All right, number three, godly involvement requires active people. You got to be involved if you're going to have godly involvement. David Barton says only about two thirds of our citizens register to vote, and then they don't all vote. Those that vote vote normally on an average results in one in five people actually voting. Overall average for all our elections, our presidential elections, that is. One in eight people normally vote if it's just a state election. And one in 25 people vote if it's just a local election. You realize with that kind of apathy how much power your vote has in a local election? David Barton went on to say, a woman in Bentonville, Arkansas, the home of Walmart, was fed up with the threat at her, in her school system of people with confused identities being able to go into little girls' restrooms. And so uh, she ran for the school board. Only 35 people voted for her. It's not a big city. Only 35 people voted for her, and she won. 
So stop looking down on yourself. What kind of prophecies have been made over you in terms of leadership that God has for you? He may be calling you to run for office. Don't do it if he hasn't, but don't run from it if he has. It may look impossible to you, but because of apathy, it may actually be easier than you think. How do we get active? Well, we've got several things right here in our text. Petitioning God for everybody, especially those in authority. Praying with detail. If you've ever met Fred Orcutt, he'll invite you to one of his prayer meetings. And he's got details after details after details, every name imaginable of people in authority whose authority relates to us as citizens right here in Hood County. Praying earnestly, sincerely. It's not just now I lay me down to sleep, God bless the governor. No, praying earnestly for them. They need our help. Personally interceding for those in authority. You do not know what it's like to live in the White House. You don't know what it's like to be mayor of Granbury. Give thanks audibly. Be active for all in authority. Why? Because prayer works even for the most wicked of leaders. Now, God doesn't change a person's will, but he will give them a wake-up call and lead them to a crossroads where they can make a decision to do his will. So you can pray for that. I've seen people get wake-up calls and they, they choose the right way or they choose the wrong way. An example of this in the Bible is King Saul, who was intent on destroying David. And uh, one night the Spirit of God fell on Saul and he lay in a ditch on the side of the road all night long prophesying good things about David. Now, for hours, saying David is a great guy, David is a blessed guy, David's going to be king. Who knows what all he was prophesying? The sun rose, the spirit lifted, the guy got up, wake-up call was over, and he had a decision, right? And guess what he did? He said, I'm going to kill him. This is Rodrigo Duterte, the current president of the Philippines, a pretty rough guy with a huge job. He's going to clean up drugs. And if it means abusing human rights, he's going to do it. He's going to clean up the Philippines. And he's so brutal that those that have approached him with concerns, he's cussed them out. He's told the Pope his mother was a prostitute. He used rougher language than that. And similar things about Obama's mama. A rough guy. Well, one night, while on a flight to Japan... God gives him a wake-up call. Don't you know the saints in the Philippines have been praying for their president? Here he is talking about it. Well, he said that, you know, if you don't stop, uh, if that's, uh, I, will dis I will bring this plane down now. And I said, who is this? So, of course, it's God. Okay. So... I promise God to not to express slang, cuss words, and every uh, hear me right always because uh, promise to God is uh, he promised to the Filipino people. When the wake-up call was over, a week later, this was last weekend, a week later, he's cussing again. He fell off the wagon. He needs more prayer. So the, the text doesn't say pray for him once. This is, this is something we need to do often. 
First of all, pray. Godly involvement requires active people exercising the rights we do have. We have the right to vote. We need to do it. Nobody else can vote in your place. Understanding today's important issues. Godly involvement requires informed people who would agree. But let me tell you, that is a job. You can't watch cartoons and be informed. It's a job. Because of the lack of integrity of both, in in my opinion, both leading candidates, I set out on a quest to read the platforms of both parties and thereby make my decision based on parties. David Barton actually agrees with that. He says, what you vote for is more important than who you vote for. The party is the people backing them. This is their intent. They may not fulfill all these things in their terms, but this is where they're heading. They're going to take baby steps if they have to, where they're heading. So I read the platforms of both parties, printed them off. They're both over 50 pages long, a very, very detailed uh, details of things they want to do. Some interesting things. I do want to know who's going to pay for all this, but that's a whole other subject. On page 37 of the Democratic Party platform, these words are written. Democrats are committed to protecting and advancing reproductive health, rights, and justice. We believe unequivocally, like the majority of Americans, that's, that's questionable though, that every woman should have access to quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion, regardless of where she lives, how much money she makes, or how she, insure, she is insured. We will continue to stand up to Republican efforts to defund Planned Parenthood health centers. We will continue to oppose and seek to overturn federal and state laws and policies that impede a woman's access to abortion, including uh, by repealing the Hyde Amendment. 46, we will support sexual and reproductive health and rights around the globe. They're pushing this as their agenda for the world. In addition to expanding the availability of affordable family planning information and contraceptive supplies, we believe that safe abortion must be part of comprehensive maternal and women's health care and included as a part of America's global health programming. Therefore, we support the repeal of harmful restrictions that obstruct women's health care information and services. The Helms Amendment that bars... American assistance to provide safe and legal abortions around the developing world. And they are doing this. I mean, Zimbabwe is in a pretty vulnerable place, and the United States has greatly restricted aid to that poor country uh, because their abortion is illegal. Now, I'm very pro-life. In a minute, I'll tell you why. But let's go on while we're in this vein. And uh, for sake of brevity, I won't read everything that's said in both of these documents. But here in the Republican National Uh, platform on page 13. It says, we oppose the use of public funds to perform or promote abortion or to fund organizations like Planned Parenthood so long as they provide a referrer for elective abortions or sell fetal body parts that rather than provide health care. We urge all states and Congress to make it a crime to acquire, transfer, or sell fetal tissues from elective abortions for research. We call on Congress to enact a ban on any sale of fetal body parts. In the meantime, we call on Congress to ban the practice of misleading women on so-called fetal harvesting consent forms, a fact revealed by a 2015 investigation. And it goes on and on into the next page. 
And then it's also listed on page 24. It's also mentioned again on page 37 and page 38. So I made my decision. When I vote, I'm voting a straight party ticket because I do not want to see the names of people who lack integrity. So I'm voting for the what rather than the who. Now, why am I so pro-life? Those of you that know my story know why. Those of you that don't, well, here's my story in brief. January 21st of 1977, I met the most beautiful girl I had ever met. We became friends. The next day, I went to her house, and a friendship developed. It was weeks before we held hands. It was months before we had our first kiss. And in August of 77, I proposed to her at the Meagles, outside the Meekles Hotel at a water fountain that's still there. And so we were in love. We spoke to our parents. Uh, things were kind of up in the air because there I was doing missionary work and, and not really a solid career, living with my parents. We couldn't get married, but we were in love, and our intention was to get married eventually. Well, who knows without a vision, people lack restraint. And so uh, we began to sin, and December of 1977, it became aware that a baby was on the way. Yvette's parents did not attend church other than twice a year, and her father was not converted at that time. And he was very abortion-minded. Of course, it was illegal in Rhodesia, still is in Zimbabwe. He says, I'll get you on a plane to London. No one will know, and you'll be back in just a matter of days, and it'll be over with. We both appealed to his authority. He was her father. She was only just turned 19. Please, Dad, please. I promise I will not mistreat your daughter. He said, if you do, the world's not big enough for you, boy. That Sunday of that weekend, he went to his church and wept through the whole service and went up to the altar afterwards. This was one of those formal liturgical churches, but he had an encounter with God. That afternoon, I went back to his house to appeal to him again. And a friend had just happened to have write, written my parents, offering me a job. And I had the letter with me. said, here's a job, three fifty an hour. Now, this was in the 70s, you know. Let me marry your daughter, and we'll move to the States, and yada, yada, yada. He agreed to it. The next day, we were married. The day when she would have been on the plane, we were at the justice of the peace. January 21st, we had a church wedding. March, we moved to Houston, Texas. August 22nd, Summer was born. Now, she grew up not knowing this, our firstborn. We were married December 19th, 1977, right? She's born August 22nd, 1978. Seems to be unclear. Maybe she'll never find out. Well, she went to nursing school. Two weeks out of high school, she enrolled in nursing school. And one of the teachers had this cardboard device where you dial in your birth date, and it gives you your conception date. And it didn't line up, and we were busted. <laughs> she struggled, and in ministry and prayer, she, the Lord gave her a vision of the world with two hands scooping up soil from the U.S. continent 
and the African continent and making one, the hands coming together with the soil. So she knew that she was God's child, but nevertheless, she still judged us. It was hard for her to get over. The church in Zimbabwe paid her way to go to, to Zimbabwe to host her. And of course, our church helped her go as well. And she was gone for like a month. And while there, she interviewed the leaders in the church. It's still there. Tudor Bismarck's the pastor. It's a mega church now, but it was just in its infancy back then. She interviewed leaders in the church who were part of the youth group when our scandal happened, my scandal happened. And they helped her understand. She went to the fountain where I proposed and took a video, and, and uh, she came home healed. She got out of nursing school, nursing school. She began to volunteer at crisis pregnancy clinics and has become quite a champion for the unborn. When I look at her, I cannot help but be pro-life. Now, you may think about certain scenarios where you might be tempted to, to think abortion should be allowed, but those scenarios, I won't mention them, don't make up more than 2%, probably around 1% of the cases of abortion anyway. So to kill 99% of the pregnancies for the sake of 1% is unjust. It's unjust the weakest citizens among us are being wiped out. Now, if you've had an abortion, I have all the mercy in the world for you. I do not condemn you. I've actually been part of services where people have gone through a formal funeral for their child because of the mistake that was made. I want to go on. We'll revisit this later. Godly involvement requires active people walking in peace wherever possible. I have friends, I have kinfolks that are pro-choice. I walk in peace with them. I do not argue with them all the time. I make my point, and it's between them and God. It involves loving those you disagree with, not writing them off, not saying, I hate people that are in your party, or I hate this, or I hate that. We don't have permission to hate anyone. You love those dis you disagree with because none of us are 100% right on everything anyway. Well, maybe you're not. Well, you're not either. So if you've not yet voted, Tuesday's the day. Do it. Do it. Get informed. It'll take you all day if you have to do what I did. You can do it. Godly involvement requires remembering Christ's commands. He basically said, treat others the way you want to be treated. He emphasized the law of Moses by saying the great commands are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He told stories like the great Samaritan, somebody who helped the helpless. As I read these two platforms, I was convicted because a lot of government programs are things the church should be doing. And I don't like throwing rocks at the church because I'm part of the church. People that throw rocks at the church aren't thinking. You live in a glass house, you throw rocks, you're going to get some busted windows. The responsibility lays at all our feet. And when it comes in terms of abortion, many times the church is part of the problem because we will shame a girl that gets pregnant as though pregnancy is a sin. It's not. It's a consequence of sin. The fornication is a sin. We may know this fornication is going on. Well, these are the way kids are these days. Kind of wink at it. And then how dare you get pregnant? You're going to get out of my house 
you do that, a kid's going to be tempted to sweep it all under the rug, and here's the abortion people. Come our way, we'll help you. It's generated hypocrisy in the church because of our lack of compassion for people who've made big mistakes. Well, sin's not a mistake. Well, it is a mistake. There's no excuse for it, but it's something that people have to live the consequences with. And so it is. May we be a safe haven for our single mothers that maybe they've been abandoned. Maybe maybe their boyfriend wasn't going to be a fit father. Whatever. We do not put our case on everybody as a template, but I am very pro-life. Give your child a chance. If you're here today expecting... I and someone shaming you, even if it's your own parents, come and tell me and I'll help you reason with them. Help them get over the shock. Many times shocked people say things they don't really mean. Godly involvement requires standing up for the weak and the poor. Not looking down our noses at hurting people. Well, they made the wrong choice. Well, yeah, they did, but let's help in some way. This is a short film. It's on Vimeo. Oh, Sing a Little Louder. It's, it's uh, actually produced by Jeremy Wiles, who I think used to live in Granbury. And it's a story of a German old man who as a child witnessed the Nazi atrocities right there outside the doors of his own church. His church is in a village and uh, the village had a railway line running right beside it, and right by the church, out the front door of the church, you could see the railway cars. And one day they came to his town to load up the Jews onto railway cars that already had Jews on it during a church service. They're trying to have church with this noise going on. Watch this. Christians yet did nothing to intervene.
outside of earshot are hurting people, will we do something to respond to their cries? Or will we sing a little louder, play church a little longer, or will we actually get our hands dirty in helping hurting people, be it unborn infants or senior citizens? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would convict us and change us that we would be active citizens making this nation a better place politically and personally. May our homes be havens to help people when they need it. In Jesus' name, make us wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Don't let us be duped by animosity. But let us be empowered by your spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray for people that are here that are hurting themselves. Give them boldness to speak out and say, hey, I need some help. Let us know. In Jesus' name, I thank you for my brothers and sisters and for their attentive ears. Lord, may we not forget what you're saying to each of us personally where it applied to us. Jesus' name.